This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in Listenland, welcome to episode 24 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back again this week. I'm here in my virtual studio with my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's going on, Steve-O? Hey, Tucker. Good to be back in the studio. Feeling a little under the weather today, so if you hear a, a cough or two, don't be surprised, but I call it being walking sick. I'm not much of a lay down in bed and you know get better there, uh, but I'll get better here on the podcast. <laughs> well, hopefully you're all hopped up on DayQuil, so uh, we'll get something out of you before you go crash this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's been kind of a crazy week for me. I'm assuming uh, it's probably been the same for you because the market is bananas, as we talked about last week. What's What's been going on? What you've been seeing out there in the real estate trenches this past week? Man, we are busy, 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 and it's mostly good stuff. I mean, I've had probably... Gosh, six, seven new listing calls this week, and I get really excited about listing calls. Probably one listing is worth three buyers in my book, but and a lot of that is because it is a seller's market, so there's an advantage to that. But also, listings in theory should get you buyers because as you list the property, you're going to get some buyers along the way and even potentially other listings. So we're really excited about that. We've got a lot of buyers too, though, probably a lot more than that for sure in, in the last week, um, dozens and dozens. But just to talk a little bit about what we have going on more specifically, on two fronts, first of all, PPG as a brokerage. We're really, really excited. I've talked on the show in the past about our marketing platform, and it's again, it's www.marketingppg.com. It's a portal we created where any of our 500 brokers can go onto it, and they just enter in their information and the listing address, and then they can order anything and everything they would need to list that property with the most cutting-edge marketing available, and they can order it all in about 60 seconds, and a confirmation email goes out to our back-end marketing team, and they make it all happen. They set up the appointments with the various team members, including photography, videographers, drones, you name it, 3D showcases. We've had some amazing success with this. We've had about 50 different brokers in our company use it. We've had hundreds and hundreds of properties that have been listed with it. We had one excited broker who sent an email out to us, some of the executives, just raving about the success they've had with it. They had two listing appointments where they got the listing by showing some of the marketing they can create. They utilized the marketing platform to roll that out. And sure enough, at their open house, they got another couple listing appointments. So a lot of exciting things happening there on the brokerage side. The one thing I wanted to talk about in my business personally as a broker this last week was I had just said that I've had a few listing appointments and listing calls and setting appointments. Several of them, actually three, are tenant-occupied properties. And that's always such a unique animal. And I thought I'd take a minute just to chat about that. It is different. It's not your traditional retail sale. It is. It is. And what you have to acknowledge is, look, the reality of selling a house is it's kind of an icky, intrusive process in general, right? Seller lives in a house. They're going to dial it all up. They're going to sit around waiting for a phone call. Somebody's going to call. Some broker's going to call and say, I want to show your house today at 5. They're going to run around, clean up the dishes, pick up dirty socks, turn on all the lights, You know, follow a little process, and then they're going to get out of the house for a couple of hours. Well, sellers are okay with doing that. As much of a pain in the butt as that is, 
they have a vested interest in the process, so they're somewhat willing to do it, of course, or they're very willing to do it. But a tenant is such a different story. So when I have these tenant-occupied properties, I have that conversation with the seller because a lot of times their first question is, should I kick the tenant out first before we go on the market? And it's not a slam-dunk answer. I don't automatically say yes, and I think that's something that our listeners, you know, it's good to think about. Well, we found out with Jared and his longer podcast that kicking the tenants out is kind of a longer process now. So It is a longer process, absolutely. So what I always ask the seller is, you know, talk to me about the tenant. It really comes down to them, whether the property is going to be better vacant or with them in it. And it really comes down to two things with regards to the tenant. It comes down to their cleanliness and I'll use the word staging, but basically their furniture and possessions, okay? That's one component. If they have nice stuff and it looks good and they're clean, then that's going to be, in a lot of ways, better for the property. The other component with a tenant that comes into play is how easy they are to work with. If both of those align, then it's worth considering keeping them in there. So you can market it with the tenants and the property. If those two things perfectly align, if they have good possessions and are clean and they seem like they'd be easy to work with, what I find to be a best practice, though, is you've kind of got to incentivize them in the process. You got to, I encourage sellers, work with them, maybe reduce rent that last few months, let them know exactly what's going on, be transparent with them about the process, and that can work well. If those two things don't align, then you probably are better to have a vacant property. Yeah, I, you know, we buy a lot of stuff that has tenants in it. Some of those tenants are not as clean as the ones that you're describing, which is why we end up buying the property. But, you know, they add a level of complexity in any transaction. And most of the time, you know, money talks. And, you know, we end up having to provide a nice little envelope to people to make them cooperate properly and be excited about the fact that they're getting the boot. So that's just kind of how the business, the ugly underside of how this whole thing works within this business. Yeah, so it's definitely just a unique component to listing properties and it's one that's good to be familiar with and I'll be honest with you I've had a lot of success with getting those listings because I talk the seller through that process and I come across as an expert on look we deal with this a lot here's the different ways you can go with this here's the pros and cons of it yeah and that's what you should do exactly Well, it sounds like you're busy, busy as usual we're pretty busy over here actually on my way into the office this morning I stopped off at our uh Noss Road Project, which is right around the corner from this year's Street of Dreams that went on this past summer. We got foundation poured, and so we're going to start doing our post and beam uh, over the course of uh, next week, and then hopefully have that house framed up here very shortly. So that's going to be about a $2 million spec home project for us. So it's pretty high dollar, but it's definitely an A-plus area. It's an A-plus lot, and so that's basically the types of properties that we build these days. So pretty excited about that. We've got another house that's framed. We've got all the uh, electrical done, all the HVAC work done, all the plumbing done. So we're about to drywall, and that's kind of closer over by my house in the Lake Grove area. And I'm sure that one will go quick, quick, quick as soon as it's done. So a little less on the uh, actual cost side. But I'm assuming that based on the market staying just relatively close to as hot as it is now, both of those should sell really quickly. So we got those going, and then we've got a townhome project that we just submitted a package for to the city of Lake Oswego day before yesterday, and so we're going to get that cranking here real soon too. And then we got a bunch of dirt in the uh, backlog beyond those that uh, we're going to be building out as well in Lake Oswego. So we're we're equally busy, but just kind of on a different side of the business, which is uh, really cool. Hopefully, uh, 
the market at least stays warm through the end of the year as that'll help our uh, margins as we go to sell a lot of this stuff. But on kind of a squirrely front, I've been talking about the ugly underside of some of the stuff that I get to deal with on a weekly basis. I have an interesting story and you'll like it, Steve, and, and we'll get into uh, our, our awesome guest, Jeff, here too, but he can be entertained by my story while he's sitting and listening to us babble. So last year, I did a, a real solid for the year. My wife had a friend who was a single mother who wanted to move into Lake Oswego, but it was my understanding that she was going to have a hard time affording much. So we ended up selling her a house that was probably sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 under what we could have sold it for on the open market after we had renovated it beyond what the price point really required. So we made it a very, very nice house, and we basically handed her sixty dollars to $70,000 worth of equity. And so it was a, it was a very nice deed to a You're bench. a very nice guy, Tucker. Uh, yeah, underneath it all, yes. So if I could pat you on the back right now through this computer, I think I would. <laughs> Good for you. Good for well, you. The, That's story, very nice the, you. the story gets better. So I haven't heard from this lady in better part of a year and a half now. She bought the house a year and a half ago. It was end of 2014 that we sold her the house. And she came out of nowhere this past week with a barrage of rather threatening emails, one of which said that she was going to contact the CCB, the BBB, call every newspaper in town, and basically tell them what a rotten, terrible guy I am and a horrible company we are if I don't get out there and fix something immediately. Well, the thing that she wanted me to fix was uh, rather interesting. And just to clarify, we obviously don't provide a warranty on any of the rehab-type products. We have a builder warranty we provide with our new construction but this was a little ranch rehab. There was no builder warranty that came with it. When we sell those houses, it's basically the same as buying it from any other homeowner. You're not going to call that homeowner and harass the hell out of them a year and a half later after you bought the house from them. Sure. Unless, of course, they misrepresent something or there's something like that, which wasn't the case. So what happened is over the course of the past year and a half, she elected to not utilize her bath fan at all, but at the same time take very long hot showers that steamed up her bathroom to the point of water condensation on the ceilings because that's where the steam collects. She also had an operable window in the bathroom in case the bath fan didn't suck enough of the moisture, but the bath fan met code. It was plenty powerful. She elected to not use either of those two things over the course of the past year. So what has happened is some of the paint on the ceiling has started to peel a little bit because of all this water condensation that's been collecting every time she takes a shower for a year and a half. Well, she came at me. This is the funny part. She told me that she had contractor bids for over $1,000 to repair peeling paint. But on top of that, she was going to go to the newspaper, the CCB and the BBB, because the bathroom didn't have enough ventilation. And she has contractor bids for over $1,000 to prove that. Well, she had contractor out there that had half a brain. He'd realized that having a, you either need a bath fan or a window, and the combination of both is plenty sufficient for any type of ventilation in a bathroom like that. But the bath fan also alone was powerful enough to meet building code because we had to have it inspected by the, the building inspector as well as the home inspector through the process. So anyway, point is, it was not a defect in building issue. It was just a homeowner this is how your home works. You should probably turn the bath fan on if you're taking long, hot showers with lots of steam over the course of a year and a half. And she came at me with just terrible, terrible emails like that. And so did she start that way. I mean, did it yeah, start? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, just right out of the chute, fangs out. She oh, and then she said she was going to take me to small claims court, too, if none of those other things worked. And so I being, you know, the, the business owner that I am, I responded to her politely asked her to send me pictures because none of this had pictures accompanying it and then explained to her that if it was in fact a ventilation issue 
here's how we're going to look at it because the bathroom has plenty of ventilation. You just have to use it if you're taking showers. And I haven't heard back from her as of yet, but it was, wow. it was a little disappointing to have done such a nice thing for somebody who now has two daughters that she gets to raise in Lake Oswego School District, which, as we know, is the number one school district in the nation. She bought into Lake Oswego a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath house, totally redone for just over 300000 So you tell me where a house like that exists in Lake Oswego for three hundred grand, it doesn't. So... So the moral of the story is don't do nice things for people, right? Uh, no, that's not the moral. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, the moral just... is I shouldn't have done nice things for this person. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we'll start off our show with a little entertainment. I won't keep our guest waiting any longer, though. We've got a great guest on this week from Director's Mortgage. Jeff Waller is here, and he is a – I pronounced your last name right, right, Jeff? You did. Thank you. All right. Awesome. He is a well-known guy in this business. For any of you guys that have been around for a while, uh, you probably recognize his name. And it's no coincidence that that is the case. He is one of the big ballers, as I would like to call them, in the loan side of the business. And he's currently with Director's Mortgage. And he works in conjunction with Travis, who we had on the show earlier. Unfortunately, Travis is at a uh, meeting today. So he got Jeff to stand in for him, but I'm glad he did because we get somebody new on the show. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I get the feeling it's a pleasure to be here. Steve, Tucker, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. And just so our listeners know, Jeff is one of my preferred lenders. Him and Travis are teamed up. And like Tucker said, we had Travis Olson on the show about, I guess it's been about seven, eight months ago now. And now Jeff is the other side of his business. So we're excited to have him and they do a fantastic job for me. So maybe before we, you know, get into it, maybe just give everybody that's listening, Jeff, a quick rundown, kind of, you know, are you in a team type relationship with Travis or how are things set up with you? So, so yeah, I've been in business here in Portland for about 21 years doing finance, doing mortgage. I had my own company from 03 to 08, came over to Director's Mortgage about six years ago. It's been a great fit. I've got a fabulous team here. Travis Olson, he's the branch manager for Lake Oswego. We're partners and we've got Michelle Nielsen is our business development manager. We've got Rachel McWhorter. She's our senior processor. She's part of our team. And we have Paige Olson, who's our production coordinator. So we've got a really good team in place. Steve, you know if you're going to do any volume in this industry, either on the mortgage side or real estate, you have to have a team in place and you have to have process in place. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Until you have that, you can never do production and do it well. Sure. Um, Steve, we've learned a lot from you because you are the master of production and the system. So we appreciate everything that we've learned from you and we love working with you. Oh, likewise, likewise. You and Travis just complement each other so well. We have different personalities, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this. Travis is kind of the tiger. You're the teddy bear, but it's a good matchup. And that's not a knock on you in any way, Jeff. You're the one I want sitting with my clients and meeting with them face to face. And man, they're going to love you. And Travis is just when things need to happen and a bulldog needs to jump in. And, and usually it's directed internally on the company, you know, towards underwriting or whatever right. the case. Right. Travis knows how to get that done. So together, you're just a dynamic duo. It's been wonderful to work with you both. We have a good spot here. This company supports us well. You know, Directors is a locally owned company. They've been around for 17 years. Volume-wise, they do about a billion, two, billion, three a year in volume, which is good for uh, a locally owned company. All of our processing, underwriting, docs are drawn here at the Lake Oswego branch where we live, basically. And it's been an interesting couple years. Things have definitely increased volume-wise for, for all of us. We can talk about interest rates at the beginning of the year. It was anticipated because the Fed did their quarter point raise that that was going to have an adverse effect on mortgage rates. Well, that's not the case. In fact, you might see one more Fed increase this year for the federal funds rate. 
and you're going to have to excuse me, I'm also suffering from a cold, Steve. If my face starts to uh, fade out, that's why. Since January 1, interest rates on the 30-year fixed have fallen about a half a point. And that's contrary to what the market was anticipating. And that's generated a lot of interest going into spring with the spring buying season. I know that's helping you out. We receive a lot of leads from Steve, so I know his business is, is up a bunch. Tucker, you're out there rehabbing homes, flipping homes, and developing. I'm sure your business is increasing. So it's an honor to support everything that you guys are out there doing. Yeah, and really, you know, you guys are the lifeblood of it, providing the money for the buyers who buy things, you know, whether it be homes that we build or clients that Steve has. You guys are kind of at ground zero. I mean, things don't move without what it is that you guys do. And that kind of takes me into my first question. We obviously want to go through a lot of the TRID stuff because seeing the aftermath of that go into place is something we want to talk about. But before we do, I wanted to kind of talk bigger picture. And, you know, you've been in the business 21 years, like you said. Steve and I have both been in the business since the early 2000s. That's actually when we met. But, you know, we had a big run-up, a big kind of a, a hot, hot real estate market from about 04 to 06. And the aftermath of that was terrible, as we all survived and lived through. We, uh, we, we, you know, we call that a phase the nuclear winter. Yes, yes. There was a day in, in August in 2007 that changed all of our lives forever. And right. there were market conditions leading up to that, a lot of which, you know, we've talked about before on the show, me and Steve, being financing-driven. We're in a hot market again today. And I'm curious what your take is on this market versus that market, because you were in the trenches on the finance side of the business for both of them. And so what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? So, so it's interesting. The market's back. The market in, in the Portland area, we were up 10% average gains in value last year. Sales are up. Inventories are down. The big difference between now and, and the bubble of 05-06 is these are real buyers. This is a real economy. Back in 05-06, it was purely speculation. Not that we don't have a percentage of buyers out there right now that are investors buying property, but people like you are buying dilapidated properties and, and refurbing them, making them new. The other component for our market is the tremendous growth in population. 25,000 people a year are moving into our tri-county area. And those people need homes to live in. And, you know, 07 to 2010, there wasn't a lot of activity. Things were depressed. It's kind of like a balloon when you hold it underwater. Eventually, that balloon's going to come up and it's going gonna, it's gonna to rise. And, and that's what's happening now. But I think it's a healthy market. Market appreciation is rapid. Steve, you can probably speak to that also. You've seen tremendous gains in your, in your volume. But these are real buyers. The economy in our area is great. Job market is great. Unemployment's down. People are moving to Oregon, uh, specifically Portland and Mass. And that's, that's a trend that's going to continue for, for the next few years, regardless of what happens on the macro economy for the nation. Interest rates throughout this year are anticipated to be low. I know there was fear. Sometimes fear drives markets. It was anticipated that rates were going to go up this year, so that early on may have been spurring some activity because people don't want to miss out. But market appreciation is still there. It's still a great time to buy, and rates should be low throughout the remainder of the year. Right now, conventional 30-year is about 3.625, 3.75, right in that range. And if we go back two months, it was four and a quarter to four and three eight. So tremendous gains. Rates are low. Once that news gets out to the marketplace you're going to see a lot of people excited to get back in line to buy homes once inventory's up. And Steve, you can talk to that inventory in Portland right now. We're at 1.2 months. Yeah. 
You know, the other thing that's interesting too, Jeff, is buyers qualify for the loans they're doing now. I mean, getting a mortgage in this day and age is still very much, it's probably loosened up a little bit since 10, 2010, 2011, but in other ways it's tightened up still, and we're going to talk about trade here in a little bit, but buying a home and getting a mortgage is very much show me the money, Jerry Maguire style. Like, you are not buying a home regardless of how much you put down, regardless of how great your credit is, unless you can show the income that is going to make that payment. And that is so very different than what we had in 0506. We had people working at Starbucks going out and getting $400,000 loans and, you know, putting on their application that they make, you know, $8,000 a month on a stated income program. As long as values were going up, which they were, they could make it work, and suddenly a year later they're refining it. And it's worth five hundred thousand. Now they're pulling out some cash to make those future payments, and and you just saw so much of that. That was what started building the house of cards. I think why we can be confident that we aren't in exactly the same type of situation is because that has not happened. People who are buying homes today and getting mortgages can truly afford those mortgage payments. You know, there could be wild cards in that if the economy changed a little bit and jobs losses or so on, but. You know, that aside, that's very, very different than what it was then. So underwriting, I'll, I'll talk about that. So they say the more things change, the more they stay the same. So Fannie Mae guidelines essentially are the same. You, the, the difference is all that other auxiliary product that we had is gone. There's no more stated income, stated asset. You have to prove your ability to repay, and that's the main difference. And that's, that's, the, main, that's the key why this is a healthy economy. So you're not going to get a mortgage, a conventional mortgage, if you cannot prove your ability to pay. So we underwrite two years tax returns, W-2s, pay stubs, and if their debt-to-income ratio lets them qualify, they're going to buy that home. So we have real buyers now moving into homes, not as a Ponzi scheme, not as an investment, but as a place to live and raise their family. So that's exactly. The key, that's, in my mind, that's the key difference between this market and 0506. Yeah, and I think that's a real good point to make, and I think that in my mind, we may slow down, we may flatten out, but I don't think there's a bubble to deflate because like you said, Jeff, those are real buyers. Those are people that have real income. They have real down payments and you know they have a vested reason to keep their home and they can actually afford the homes that they're buying. True. Yep. Well, let's segue over to Trid. We'd love to chat about that. Yeah, I'm going to introduce you to Rachel McWhorter. She is our senior processor here on our team and I'll go get her. Give me a second, okay? Yeah, sounds good. Trid's celebrating its four-month anniversary, or it just did. I think it got implemented on October 3rd. So we've now had some runway where we've been able to actually have transactions start under it, close under it. And so we'd love to kind of hear from your guys' end of things there on the mortgage side. What are you hearing about it, and what are some of the gotchas that you're getting? Give us some real experiences as well. Well, you know, as far as TRID goes, in the beginning, I wouldn't say there were gotchas. I would say there were definitely some learning curves. You know, I'm the processor for the T. Molson Waller, so for me it was kind of reformatting my whole process and my way of thinking and moving things that you would do maybe later in the process a little bit earlier, and it's just a lot of just reformatting things. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we had any major chaos or anything like that. I think that the learning curves are over now, and it's business as usual. It's We've like I said, reformatted our process flow. And so it's just, it's the way we do things now. Trade isn't anything scary anymore. What were some of the changes that you had to make to your process that maybe might have caught up 
less experienced loan houses <laughs> or finance companies. Obviously, you guys are a well-oiled machine, but there are definitely people out there that have had issues. What are those points that you guys identified that needed to be changed in the process? Right. I would say the first thing is communication. Needing to know right away sale price changes, seller credit changes, those types of things. Because when you have your CD that's going to be going out, you want to get it right the first time because you don't want any changes that are going to reset the clock or even slow your you know your timeline by a day you know you want it done right the first time as early as possible now i know director's mortgage within the last four months we've again kind of re-looked at our whole process on what's most efficient for the whole transaction and you know in the beginning we weren't sending our cds out until the loan was in line for final review for final approval and that was going great you know our our team personally we didn't ever have any hiccups with that i mean We've not, luckily, <laughs> we haven't had any, you know, anything go haywire, but, you know, the feedback that we got from sales and our agents and escrow officers was the, the sooner the better. And so we actually have re- reformatted our process to where we're sending our CDs out as early as, as long as you've got a conditional loan approval and your interest rate is locked. So, you know, that's kind of something I think that maybe directors has a little bit of a niche on that, you know, we've moved that up a lot earlier in the process. But with that being said, you need as best of communication as possible on, you know, hey, has the sale price changed? Has our closing date changed? Has any seller credits changed? Because, again, if we're doing it that much earlier in the process, which is great, we want to get it right the first time and not have to burden the client with more and more paperwork. They already have enough by the end of the transaction. I have to, I'm going to make a joke here. I mean, I love how we've all start transition to now. We're so comfortable talking about getting CDs out. And it's it's second nature. I, I see so many emails where like we're getting the CD out, we're getting the new CD out. Hey Steve, um, for our listeners, CD means CD means closing disclosure. So now when they have the final numbers, they have to put out the CD, the closing disclosure, and it has to sit and wait for three days. Yeah. I think it's hilarious because I've made the joke to a couple different lenders. They'll say they're getting their new CD out. You know, if there was a redisclose of some sort, we're getting the new CD out. And I always tell them, well, I hope it goes platinum. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ching right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Little 90s joke for you since nobody buys CDs anymore. Right. What's a CD? So, Rachel, talk to us about your guys' process with getting the CD out. You guys have gone with a different approach that I've seen firsthand work very well. You do it very early in the process. So, Rather than going through the entire loan process and getting to a point where, hey, we're ready for signing, let's put the CD out, and then everybody has dead time for three days, you guys actually issue it in such a manner, in, in such a time, that it's not dead time. Other things are still happening, and so by the time the, the three days have occurred, now is when closing is going to happen. What is your guys' trigger for when the CD goes out? Well, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a trigger. It has to make sense. And so, you know, I'm the processor for the Olson Waller team. So part of my job is monitoring each loan to see where it's at in the process and is right now the right time to send out the CD for them. Do we have we short up our sale price? Do we have our conditional loan approval? Is the rate, you know, locked and, and is that all of that set in stone? Are there any addendums that yeah, you Yeah, are there any addendums, you know, that kind of stuff. Last minute, yeah. Yeah. So our process I mean, I've seen it change in the last four months drastically, and it is so streamlined now. Even down to, you know, one thing that our team does that I don't, I'm not sure if any other team at directors, let alone any other company out there does. When we send out the closing disclosure, we, and let me back up, the process of that is that I contact escrow. I verify, hey, this is sale price you have. Okay, that's the sale price I have. 
this is our loan amount. Let's update our fees. Let's all get on the same page with what the closing date is, all the, the pro rates and stuff like that that can really trip you up. And then I order the CD from the CD desk. They double check my work. And if they don't see anything wrong, they just send it out as is. And then what I was going to say is what's a little different about our team is that Paige Olson, who is our client care specialist, once she sees that the CD has been sent out electronically to the client, she actually follows up with an email, phone call saying, hey, your initial closing disclosure has been sent out. In order to keep the ball rolling on your transaction, please go into our secure portal, log in, and we need to see the read receipt that you've received it. And that way, it doesn't go off into never somebody's spam folder, that kind of thing. So that's one thing that on top of sending it out much earlier in the process, that we do to really make sure that we are on target for meeting all of those little dates that have to happen within the transaction period. Is that because the clock doesn't start ticking on the three days until they've gone in and received it and, yeah. and accepted? Okay, yeah. interesting. So conceivably, if you didn't make that phone call, you could send it out on Thursday and then somebody's like, hey, we've had this out for a few days and then they look and oh my goodness, the borrower never logged in and, and accepted it. So now we have to start all over. Yeah, exactly. I mean, wow. if, we send it, if we send it out on a Monday and they don't receive it till, you know, they don't open it and review it until Thursday, then the clock's starting on Thursday and you've got three business days from Thursday. So it's much more efficient making sure we follow up and get it. I actually don't know of any CDs that we haven't had received the same day by our clients because of what we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's really what it comes down to from my experience. It's just little simple things done meticulously done systematically that make trid not the big scary ugly thing that it should be i personally have had a few transactions with problems not with you guys with other lenders that i wasn't able to send over to you guys due to the buyers you know having previous arrangements or relationships that i could not as much as i tried <laughs> wedge and it was so simple. I mean, we had one that delayed, and it was exactly what you said. They had got the lender had been confused about the addendums, and that I see where that happens. Like when an offer is made, there's counter offers back and forth, and somewhere in that process, the lender didn't get the last and final one. Had they done something as simple as pick up the phone or shoot an email to a couple of the different parties involved? saying, just want to confirm, this is the sales price I have, this is the close date I have, this is the seller concessions I have, let me know if I'm correct. If they had done that, it would have got caught on day one, and there wouldn't have been a seven, eight-day delay because of trade in the 11th hour. So just little simple things like that and understanding how to be proactive in those regards can be such a difference maker. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that just kind of goes to show, I mean, Steve, you and I were both in the mortgage business for a sustained amount of time. The difference between being very good at doing your job and those that are not very good at doing their job is huge in the mortgage business. And so you're either good or you're bad. That's pretty much the way that I saw it. And obviously, you guys over at Directors know exactly what you're doing. And that's why these changes, like you said, it's business as usual, right? It doesn't affect how it, you know, it affected how you guys have a, your processes, but you've adapted to it, you've changed your processes, and now you're not having any pitfalls along the way in your transactions because you've actually adapted to it. Some people maybe haven't adapted to it quite as well as in Steve's case that he was talking about. Yeah, and to even go further with that, Tucker, I would say it comes down to some lenders are proactive. In your guys' case, you're a great example of that. And others are reactive. You know, When you say some are good and some are bad, I, I think you can, you can kind of summarize it with that. 
the proactive ones have a system that they follow. They've thought it through, and they're they're doing things in advance of when they need to do them. Reactive people are just hair on fire. Oh my gosh, we need to do this. They're only doing what's screaming the loudest. And surprise, surprise, when you're only doing what screams the loudest, there's a lot of things screaming <laughs> at that point. Whereas if you're being proactive, you're ahead of the curve and you're getting things done before they need to be done. Yeah. And, you know, the lending side of the business is air traffic control. I mean, you guys are where it all starts and ends. So, you know, you have to be proactive about it. And it's, it, it's nice to hear that you guys have got it ironed out. And now Trid isn't the huge and terrible monster that, you know, everybody thought it was going to be going into it. I would clarify and say it is it is in certain places. <laughs> it just isn't I'll take on that, that back. Team. It depends it on your It just isn't on that team. <laughs> it's interesting. One of the great things about directors is it's it's a pretty big company, but it's small enough that it is not reactive, it's proactive. And we have the ability to pick things up and change them if they're broken. Nobody's perfect, but I've noticed that some of the big retail banks are a little bit behind the curve. You think that they would have been ahead of the curve, but one of the benefits, I think, of being here is we have the ability to adapt. Yeah, we can definitely affect change a lot quicker, I think, than the big banks. Yeah. You know, we can walk down the hall and talk to one of our executive VPs and explain what the issue is and what our solution is and put it into place. So it's nice. I've seen that many, many times over, and I can, I can verify that. Yeah, so it, basically it sounds like you guys have adapted to TRID. We've kind of identified all the things that need to change in the system. You guys have made those changes. Some of the bigger lenders, you know, more uh, institutional, commercial, more obvious, you know, national brands maybe are a little bit behind still. But it sounds like for the most part, the changes have been made, and especially with you guys, which allows transactions to move along just as they always did and things are closing, which, you know, is probably one of the reasons why we saw some, some big numbers that got posted in January, like me and Steve talked about last week in last week's show. That's true. You know, everybody was worried in January, and they were being told to write 45-day escrows, maybe 60-day escrows, but that's not the case anymore. We closed a purchase in 21 days this month. I think it was 20. 20 days, start to finish. With Even with appraisal turn times, we got it done in 20 days. So Yeah, that's great. We're, we're not afraid to trade anymore. So you are comfortable with 30-day closes? We are. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Because I think my team is out there, and they're kind of programmed to do like I think they're go they're shooting for forty ish. But I will I will make it known. <laughs> yeah, crack that whip, Steve. Because that was one of the big like we're gonna scare you headlines. You know, the closings are now gonna be sixty days with these new guidelines. But it's nice to hear from the horse's mouth. And, and it's kind of a perfect storm too with the appraisers. You know, the appraisers have been taking longer than normal. And in December there was the holidays, so a lot of appraisers had time off. And that backed up the system at a, at a point when TRID was just starting to, to take off. And so, yeah, for a while there, 30, 45-day closes were wise, but now we're back to normal. That's fantastic. Yeah. Good to know. Cool. Well, I think we covered some good ground. Definitely some good good points to be taken away about the TRID thing. The closing date timeline is huge. You know, now that I'm aware of that from your guys' perspective, and Steve is too, he's probably going to go to his team right now and start banging away on getting those closing dates down to 30, 35 days instead of 40 or 45. But hey, I want to thank you guys for joining us this week. I think we got a lot of great information. And, you know, thanks for uh, stepping up and being a guest on our show. Thank you, Tucker. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Jeff and Rachel. Yep. Have a great day. 
Yeah, Steve, before we go, any final thoughts, any words of wisdom to our audience? Anything I have nothing wise to say. I just need vitamin C. (laughs) We'll get you some Dayquil and vitamin C, and we'll catch you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Tucker. Well, thanks for listening. This has been Episode 24 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.